We are in the book of John. For those of you who are visiting or, or uh, checking us out here online or here in the house, by the way, hello to those outline, outline online on Facebook land here. We love you. So glad you could be with us that way. Walking through the book of John here, seeing how Jesus is light in our darkness. Both in terms of the darkness of our circumstances, he brings hope. But he also brings truth. In the midst of increasing darkness where truth is, not, truth is almost an offensive term. Truth is a term that's almost irrelevant even today. Truth is so critical. We're all hungry and longing for it. But we have a tendency to get in our own way. Today we're going to see that in terms of how people are responding to truth, specifically the truth as Jesus, God with us. We're in John chapter 7 today. We're going to tackle quite a few verses here again, uh, verses 1 through 31. If you want to turn there in your Bible or Bible app. For those of you who have not been with us up to this point, we're going to do a, you know, as, as, as TV shows now do in, previous, in the previous episode. Last time we saw, so bring you up to speed in terms of the book of John. John started off with just telling us, I'm not hiding things. Jesus, he's from God. In fact, he is God. He proceeds forward to unpack in the life of Jesus a variety of demonstrations of power that can undeniably be explained by only, only by the fact that he is God. He's turned water into wine, changed the chemical structure of one substance into something absolutely and totally different. He healed a dying child miles away just by speaking the word. He took a man who had been crippled for 38 years, severely crippled, well-known, and made him whole. He took food one lunchbox, and multiplied it to feed 15,000. He walked on water. We've heard through the, John, God sent his son to save the world. We've heard Jesus say, I am living water. I am the bread of life. He's making these grand and, 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 and immense claims as we come to this passage today, you're going to hear people responding and reacting to, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And most importantly, we're actually going to hear people's objections to who they think Jesus is. C.S. Lewis, great thinker, theologian from the early 20th century, great works. We know him for the for, for his fiction, Chronicles of Narnia. But he's written powerful works like Mere Christianity, for example. The Great Divorce, Screwtape Letters, Surprised by Joy. So many incredible works. Just great depth and unpacking the truth of who God is and, and, and the truth that is revealed through Jesus Christ and Christianity. And he comes to boil it down that, that we can truly only respond to Jesus in, in four ways. He's either a liar, deceiving people. He knows exactly what he's doing, his malicious intent, and 
set out to just deceive people, and it's a great, charismatic charlatan. Or he's a lunatic. He's crazy. He actually believes what he's saying, but he's not what he's saying. He actually believes that he is God, but he's delusional. He's on some manic high. He's lost. He's crazy. Or he's a legend. There is a real Jesus, but he's propped up by all the different teaching and, 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 and this, this, this exaggerated accounts by his followers. He, wasn't, he didn't ever really intend to communicate that he was God, but it's his followers that have made him larger than life. Or he is who he says he is, and he's God. Question is, what are we doing with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? And how are you responding to him? We cannot merely come to Jesus and treat him that he, like, like he's just a good man, a wise man. It just doesn't logically, coherently fit. Jesus is, shatters our expectations. And as we unpack this word today, we're going to see he's more offensive than we, do, than we like, but more loving than we dare imagine. So let's pray here as we jump into God's word. God, we just ask for your, to reveal yourself to us. We, we've heard from previous passages here in John that, that we, we need your help. We can't see you and respond to you on our own, and we need your work in us. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, illuminate us, open our eyes, draw us, awaken us, that we can see Jesus as he is and respond. Lord God, save us from our pride and our brokenness. Lord, help us to see the objections and how people responded to you thousands of years ago today, and it's still the same today, and let let us learn, Lord God. Let us be humbled as we face the truth. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's jump in here. We're going to walk through this passage, read portions of it, and then we're going to unpack it as we go, okay? Here we go. After this being the episode here with Passover, so this is six months later, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee, that's northern Israel, He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of the booths was at hand. So, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers, for not even his brothers, believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, 
I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Let's pause here for a moment and walk through these verses. All right, so we've got context here, and it's always important for us to pay attention to the setting. John, as we've talked about in the past, is very intentional in his writings. He's not just obscurely throwing down history. He's showing how Jesus, in some way, is the fulfillment of the things from the Jewish past. There's a feast going on at this time called the Feast of Booths. Not many of us may be familiar with this one. We talked about Passover in the last episode. Now, the Feast of Booths is six months later after the Feast of Passover. So John has skipped ahead in his, uh, in his way of, of, of compiling and editing his, his works and testimony of Jesus. He's decided to skip ahead six months to focus on this particular event and Jesus' teaching and interaction with people. The Feast of Booths was a, a, a celebration that God had set out, one of the three main feasts, okay? There was three big feasts in the calendar year of the Israelites. And God had set this out, this particular feast, as a way for the Israelites to remember, remember that time when you were in the desert and you lived in tents. Remember that time after I had released you from slavery in Egypt, and you wandered around, and you lived in tents, I want you to take a week of every year, and I want you to set up these little booths, these tents, and and they were made up of, of palm branches and sticks. It was really primitive kinds of stuff in order to remind them of their humble beginnings and where God has brought them and what God has done. At this time of Jesus, this was a huge feast. This was actually one of the largest of the feasts and, and so well attended. And so people would be coming, Jews would be coming from all over uh, Europe and, and Asia, and they would be coming and traveling to, to, to Jerusalem for this great feast. It would take a whole week. We need to have some week-long feasts, don't you think? And so the brothers, Jesus' brothers, we look at here, and they're, we, we, we see right off the bat, they're opportunists, all right? We're told right off the bat, they don't believe in Jesus. Their interaction with him is, is, is based on a, a certain sense of fame and glory and, and selfishness here of sorts. And so they tell him, hey, look, you're going to have the biggest event in all of, 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 of the annual calendar, you've got all this massive crowd. If you really want people to know who you are and what you're about, you've got to go down there and do your thing that you do, Jesus. His brothers are what I like to call fair-weather fans, all right? Their, their, their objection, if you will, in terms of how they relate to Jesus, is they see him no, no more than just a, 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 a famous person that can bring even them glory. Fairweather fans, they, they, love, they love all the, the power, prestige, and the influence, and they're groupies, right? They like, they like to, to experience the, the secondary uh, attention and the fame and the prosperity that comes with these great leaders and famous people. But when things get tough, what do they do? 
fall away. They leave. They abandon because the good times are no longer rolling. It reminds me of how I became a Vikings fan. When we first moved to Minnesota and Favre came out of retirement and I called myself a Favre weather fan. I know, I know. But he is, he's the reason why I'm willing to root for the Vikings because I was a Packer fan. Yeah. And the Lord worked in me. But as you can already sense, I'm pretty flaky in my allegiance to the Vikings. You guys who are Vikings fans, you know, you've been put through the ringer. And if you keep rooting for the Vikings, you are true believers because they suck. They, they are really bad. They, and they, they just, they're just, you know, they raise your hopes and then they let you down. You are good people, though. You're loyal friends and fans. Unlike the disciples here, so we get back to God's word because it ties in here, right? So his brothers even, they didn't care that Jesus was God. They weren't surrendered. They, 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 they didn't realize who he really, they didn't want to. They were caught up in all of his grandeur and what he could do. Go show yourself to the world. They didn't understand as Jesus explains He ain't about no popularity contest. In fact, for Jesus to save the world and to be who he, God has called him to be, the Messiah, he's got to make a lot of people angry. Jesus explains to them, my time to go to the feast is not yet come. I'm not going with you. I don't, I don't follow your plan and I'm not on your trajectory. You can go whenever you want because the world doesn't hate you. It hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Something significant and profound here that we got to get about Jesus. There's a lot of, 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 of attempts to try to revise who Jesus is. And, and Jesus is explaining something. The world has to realize that it's lost before it can be saved. If we don't realize that we are broken, that we are deceived, that we are sinners, that in our hearts we are all wicked, we won't realize that we need a Savior. We like, we like the love of Jesus, and we like to talk about the love of Jesus. We like the, the, the wisdom and the teaching of Jesus. We really like that. But friends, Jesus comes and he first offends before he relieves us with his grace. That's the gospel. The good news is only good news because there's bad news. And, and we can't avoid that. We can't avoid the reality of our condition, the injustice and, 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 and the divide, the evil we see. Look at the terrorism around the world. We see the things falling apart with Afghanistan, for example. We see injustices with, within our own nation. We, we see corruption. We see sickness. It's because there is a, we live in a broken world, and that brokenness is inside us. There is no good news if there is no bad news. 
Jesus must first offend. And if you've never found Jesus striking you at your heart and cutting you to the heart with how he addresses your pride and your sin and your life, if your Jesus never disagrees with you, then you're not worshiping Jesus. You don't know Jesus Christ. Because Jesus offends not, not out of being mean, being ruthless, being crass. He offends because he's like a mirror and we stand up in front of it and we can't hide from the truth. When I was 24 years old and my 50-year-old calculus teacher was laughing at me for a receding hairline and I was like, no way! And I went and looked in the mirror and I was like, it's, my hair's leaving me. It's, going, it's, it's running away from me. Jesus is a mirror of the truth. He will offend because he tells us exactly what's in our hearts and in our lives. And many of us, we've not fully surrendered because we don't want to receive the offense of our sin. And we will never know Jesus as Savior until we've received the offense of our sin. Jesus tells the guys, go on without me. And so he stays in Galilee. But as we see, we move on here in verses 10 through 13. The next episode there. His brothers had gone up to the feast. And now other people were at the feast and they were talking about him. There was all this kind of gossip and, 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 uh, and scuttlebutt going around there. And if you don't know what that word means, look it up. There was a lot of talk about Jesus going on here. So we have a couple comments. Where is he? What's going on? Now, some people are saying he's a good man. Now, others are saying, no, 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 he's a, he's a false teacher. He leads people astray. These are two other objections that we have when we come to Jesus. He's a good man. You can go to the next slide there. Oh. Keep going. There we go. He is a good man. Oftentimes, it's popular for us to just minimize Jesus in order to keep him from being Lord in our lives. It's easier to minimize Jesus. He's a good man. He's a moral teacher. And oftentimes, we don't realize that we actually believe this. Because if we're not willing to let Jesus have authority in our lives, he's a good man. We'll reduce him down to a teacher that we can come to when we want to. When we're in need of help. Not God who we follow and obey. He's a good man. You see, if he's Lord, he has authority to speak into our lives and say, you know what, that's, that's dark and that's broken that's not of me. That needs to change. If he's Lord, he says, I'm sufficient. I will give you everything you need. I will su satisfy you and supply you. Rely on me and trust me. Let go of control. Follow me. But if he's just a good man, if he's a good teacher, 
we don't have to have him as an authority in our life. But the others say, no, he's a, he's a false teacher. He's leading people astray. And there's a, there, there's a tendency, and, and if you're in here, you're not likely one of these individuals who I would call a demonizer, right? If, if the, good per, the person who claims Jesus is good is a minimizer, this person is a demonizer of Jesus. He's actually intentionally out to deceive people. As, we, as C.S. Lewis pointed out, he's, he's a liar. If he's not Lord, he's got to be a, an incredibly deceitful man looking to manipulate people to come and to follow him. But what do we see Jesus do with his life? Deceivers don't sacrifice. Deceivers who are manipulators, we see this over and over. They set themselves up, come to me. They go to the big crowds. They want glory. They want people to sacrifice for them, but they... They don't lay down their own lives. The resurrection, the death, the cross, the resurrection proves us otherwise. Jesus isn't a deceiver. He's a servant. At least the first group are nearer to the truth. He is, he is a good man. He's not a deceiver. But he's so much more. He leads you and I to truth. Our resistance, though, is that we're afraid of the truth. The story goes on here, verses 14 through 24 here. Let's read together. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but it's but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon! Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances judge with righteous intent. My battery's low, if you can grab one for me. Bear with us, on, people online, as we'll change my battery here real quick. So as we look at these verses here, Jesus engages the people. He shows up at the middle of the feast, begins to engage the people. One of their, one of their questions here is, is kind of humorous. How is it he has any learning? Uh, the literal translation is, how, is this man, how does this man know his letters? Right? How does he know the alphabet? How is he schooled, essentially, is, is what they're getting at. How, what are his credentials? How does Jesus know 
all that he knows. How is he able to be such a, a master teacher? What are Jesus' credentials? And so Jesus jumps right in, knowing that, 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 that if he were to claim that his teaching is all from his own, it's novel, he created it, he's this, this, this new master teacher that has this new, new knowledge that we should follow, they would stone him right off the bat. Jesus knows he isn't bringing a new teaching. He's bringing the teaching of God the Father. And he explains that. My teaching is not my own. Now here's the heart of what Jesus gets at. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. I'll try to navigate this here real quick. So Jesus is explaining here that if we want to know where his teaching is from or that his teaching is true, if we're going to know this, there's a key here. Now, this isn't going to be really exciting, controversial kinds of inside knowledge. What he's saying is, if you love God, and you want to obey him? If you love God the Father, the God who created us, if you, if you genuinely are interested in truth and you're seeking God the, who created you, if you want to know, you have that in your heart, that faith, you want to obey it, you'll know. You'll know. You'll be able to discern whether my teaching is my own whether I'm from God or not, whether I am the truth or not. What this exposes is a point that I think is really important. Go to the next slide, please. If you want to be right, instead of being in a right relationship with God, you will misunderstand or misuse Jesus. This is so pivotal for us today. If you want to be right, because there's a difference between being right and wanting to be right and being in a right relationship with God himself. You will misunderstand or you will misuse Jesus. Today, there's, 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 a, there's a tendency from a group of people in the, within uh, the, the America here at this time, and, and they'll claim truth, but they don't follow Jesus. They don't want to worship him or pursue him or, or, or be submitted to him or obey him. They don't exhibit the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. They don't want to obey. They misuse Jesus in order for them to be right and in control. There's a difference between being right, being proud and being arrogant and loving God, being humble being broken, which will lead us to loving others who don't know the truth, to share it with them, to be humble and patient and kind. <clears throat> On the other hand, there is another movement at work 
who misuse Jesus, who also seek to be right. And they like to pick and choose the scriptures that they use in the name of love. And they deny truth. They find more truth in our feelings, more truth in our subjective personal experience than they do in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If we do not desire a right relationship with God, a right relationship with Jesus Christ, to obey Him and follow Him, we will misunderstand, we will misuse Him, because it will be about our agenda. What happens here with these people at this time? Jesus calls them out. He said, I, I, the world hates me I, because I call them out because I offend. So he goes right at it. It says, you're trying to kill me. You, I, you have the law of Moses. You're trying to kill me. The crowd is mixed with, with all kinds of different people. They're confused. You got a demon. What's going on? You got to be crazy. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus knows he's, he's speaking to the, the leaders and officials who, <clears throat> having seen his miracle of healing on the Sabbath, sought to kill him in order for, to avoid him leading people astray what is right practice on the Sabbath. Jesus points out here, yes, you have the law of God, but you break it yourselves. By the fact that when you practice circumcision, circumcision is this, this identification that we're with God's people, we are God's people. It's a physical identification. I'm not going to go into all the details there. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> but it was an identification. We are God's people. And they broke the Sabbath by practicing it on the Sabbath. But they justified it. Although Jesus, though healing on the Sabbath... They wanted to kill him for that. They didn't see that what in Jesus, they couldn't see because they're blinded by their own pride. Jesus healing and making a man whole on the Sabbath is the fulfillment of Sabbath, of rest. The God gave us Sabbath, as we talked about earlier, that rest, he gave it to us to make us whole. Jesus is the fulfillment of Sabbath. Jesus, his death and resurrection is Sabbath rest for us, friends. He's the fulfillment of that. And they miss it because they don't judge with right judgment. They're focused on maintaining appearances of being right versus being in a right relationship with God. They didn't have to circumcise on the Sabbath. They were following the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. They weren't truly obeying. Now, this is... This was huge because this was such a well-established practice. This little thing that to us were like, I don't understand. This doesn't make a, a difference. But Jesus saying this, that they were breaking God's law, not him. Well, as we see here in the next scene, is rise an occasion for them to kill. We're going to try to breeze through this last bit here, so... Verse 25 through 31. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man, man who they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. 
Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have come not of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than what this man has done? So we see another objection in, these, in this passage here. We, we know where you're from, Jesus. This might be the skeptic. Like Jesus, is, he's a historical man, but he can't be God. There's just not the evidence that Jesus is actually God. I would just merely point to, let's talk about the resurrection and the evidence for that. And what do we do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the movement that, that happened after he was raised for the dead, from the dead? The resurrection is what seals the fate, what seals the evidence of the truth that Jesus is more than just a good man. He's more than a lunatic or a liar. He is God. He is exactly what he said. We're tempted, all of us, in our human response to come to Jesus and react to him in a variety of different ways. But Jesus claims, you think you know where I'm from, but I'm from God. God sent me. I am. I know the Father. I am the truth. Whether you're a Fairweather fan, you're just following Jesus and as long as he does great things for you, and when the good things pass, well, I'm going to move on to something else that makes me feel good. Or you're proud, you're a proud legalist that pushes against Jesus and his truth. You don't, you don't want him to have authority in your life and to call you out your minimizer, he's just a good man. I don't have to give him authority. Or a skeptic. You just don't have the facts. I just don't have enough facts to believe. Jesus consistently presents himself, I am. I am. I am the truth. The author I mentioned earlier, C.S. Lewis, he was not always a believer. I'm going to close with this, with this story of C.S. Lewis here. He was not always a believer. He had a pretty traumatic childhood upbringing. At nine, his mom died, and his dad couldn't handle it. He abandoned him to a boarding school, gone emotionally, physically. Lewis wrestled with, how do I explain away the intellectual issues of God the existence of God and God being good and there being evil in the world. Many of us have wrestled with those things. He, he, he wrestled with and he couldn't get beyond the hopelessness of this life and the meaningfulness, meaninglessness of this life. When you see all the evil and justice and wrong in this life, C.S. Lewis is quoted as, as saying at age 17, I believe in no religion. There's absolutely no proof for any of it. 
And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. Lewis was caught up in in darkness and, and complete disbelief, atheism, even opposition to Christianity towards Jesus. But over time, he heard the truth. G.K. Chesterton is an author, contemporary at that time, and he was read from the materials of G.K. Chesterton, and, 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 it, and, and, and it provided the intellectual evidence to overcome some of his, his struggles, but that wasn't enough. You see, whenever it comes to Jesus, it's ultimately not an issue of having enough evidence or intellectual barriers. It's an issue of the heart. C.S. Lewis, it was ultimately dealing with his own shame, where he went to Oxford, got off a train, and he must have been up in his head, but he just, he started walking, and some of us, you know, have you ever done that? You just kind of, you just get in your path, and you just get going, and you forget, like, what you're doing, and he's just, and he went walking, and he was walking, and he walked to the outer edge of town, and he, 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 he didn't head to the university, and he, and he kind of becomes aware of himself, and he turns back, and he realizes, I took the wrong path. But as he turned back, all of a sudden, he could see, he was on a poor side of town, he could see the brokenness of the city, and then the beauty of the spires in the background. And all of a sudden, it hit him that he could see the work of Jesus to change and transform his life, that it was going to overcome the brokenness and the hardship and the junk. And, and, and that, that brokenness and the darkness and the pain and the, and the questions and the, the doubt were small in comparison to the glory of what Jesus has done for him. And the issue was his heart, and he surrendered. And God used, used him to be one of the greatest teachers in our time and defenders of the faith. He would later then say, Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call the real things, namely the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. He would become the champion himself. Where do you stand? What are you doing with Jesus, friends? What are you doing with the truth? Where are you going for truth? Where are you looking? Jesus has presented himself. You will see right if we pursue a right relationship with God. Now let's start that right now. If not, if we just seek to be right, we will misuse or misunderstand. I'm going to have the worship team come on forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, your, for this truth. Lord Jesus, is. This passage is weighty and, and, and may not have all the excitement, but it presents to us and confronts us with important truths. First off, Jesus, that you would break our expectations and that you must offend if you are to relieve us with your grace.
But Lord, open our hearts to receive that work, to be changed by you, not to be Lord over you, and to merely minimize you to be a good man, but God, to receive you. Be my Lord, Jesus, like Lewis, who finally surrendered. Lord God, let us see as we come and genuinely move in our hearts to desire what is true and the truth, and to follow and obey it in you, O God, that we might see Jesus aright. Open our eyes. In your name we pray. Amen.